Ladies and gentlemen, the tiny DevOps guy. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Tiny DevOps. I'm your host, Jonathan Hall. And on this show, we like to talk about dev and ops and all those sorts of related topics for small teams. Today, I'm excited to have Will Button with me. Uh, some of you may know Will uh, because we also together co-host uh, at times the Adventures in DevOps podcast. But I'm excited to have Will on because he's been doing well podcasting and sort of DevOps education longer than I have. So he's the expert today on this topic. Welcome, Will. Thanks for coming on. Hey, thank you. It's, uh, it's, exi it's exciting to be here. I'm looking forward to this. Great. So today I wanted to talk to you a little bit about your, your journey in uh, DevOps education, if you want to call it that. Yeah. So we, I think we actually have to go back before I started doing that. Um, probably I'm, I'm horrible with time, but I think we would go back like six or seven years ago. Um, I was talking with a group of friends, you know, about just work, career, life in general and stuff like that. And they were like, you got to get, uh, you've got to get an alternate passive source of revenue in, you know, so that you're not a hundred percent dependent on your job. And so that uh, led me to an introduction with the founders of a company called egghead.io who does software development courses. And so I started making some courses for them. My first course was on programming in Node.js. And then I did uh, a full course on Python for them. And then some uh, some DevOps and Elasticsearch topics for those as well, and so that um, that worked out well, you know, and that met the passive income goal. And then I did some other courses for like Pluralsight and Pack Publishing, and um, that actually changed my life enough where the passive income or the royalties coming in from that became my primary source of revenue. And my job I was actually doing just because like I got up every morning and went to work. That's what I did without thinking about it and had the realization like, wait, I don't really have to go to work. I mean, like I can do whatever I want. And so that's whenever I went out and transitioned to doing DevOps consulting full time on my own and got to be really creative there and do some take some big risks there because I could do so without the financial overhead of worrying how I'm going to put food on the table. And, um, so those courses did really, really well. And, uh, and I actually liked the recording process, but I didn't like just getting, um, you know, like the royalty thing of it. So I was like, well, I'll start a YouTube channel. And I started it uh, in January, what year is this? This is 2021. I started at January of this year and I've been doing two or three videos a week, but really the whole idea behind that is there's a lot of people who are interested in DevOps and you and I've talked about this many, many times. It's like a confusing subject. And so what I'm trying to do with the channel is like, instead of focusing on the philosophical aspects of DevOps, trying to focus on like the roll up your sleeves, grab a wrench part of it. Like whenever someone wants to get into DevOps, you know, they want to know what am I actually going to be doing? Cause I'm mm -hmm. probably not going to be 
um, you know, sitting in a, a steam room philosophizing about DevOps with different people. I'm probably going to have to do like real work. So what does that real work look like? And uh, yeah, so that's uh, that's what I've been working on. That's great. And how many subscribers do you have on YouTube at this at this moment? I've got... I just crossed 1,700 subscribers, and I'm getting about 9,000 views per month on the videos that I've done. Nice. Yeah. Yeah, it's and been pretty – it's nice. It's It's been a steady growth the last seven or eight months of 20% month-over-month growth. That's good. And how are you monetizing that? Are, are you just monetizing on YouTube, or do you have a Patreon or, or private – courses or how do you monetize this i'm actually not monetizing at all at the moment okay um i haven't so to monetize on youtube you have to have a thousand subscribers and four thousand uh viewer hours in the last rolling 12 months and i haven't hit the four thousand hours yet although i'm at three point like 3700 hours right now so that will um if things continue to grow that will kick in probably in the next few weeks and um, I'll look at that. But, you know, monetizing a DevOps channel is not really uh, like Lambo money. No. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if I don't know if that's going to catch your, your listeners off guard. I want to be really clear about that up front. <laughs> um, yeah. But, yeah, so so the monetization part is I'm going to spend the next year just continuing to focus on delivering content, exploring the space, seeing what content resonates with the people watching the channel and what they're looking for. And then I think um, with that two years of data, I'll understand the subscriber base well enough to know what type of product they might be interested in. And so it'll, it'll be geared around a product launch. That, and that leads to my next question, which is going to be who are your target audience or who, who seems to be watching videos. It sounds like you don't, I mean, I'm sure you have an idea, but you haven't really focused on that yet, but just what's your sense right now? What kind of comments do you get and who are they from? Yeah. Majority of the comments that I get are from kind of two groups, people with no tech background at all, but are interested in DevOps because a lot of uh, boot camps and universities and things like that are now offering dual career paths. So you can go down the software engineering career path or the DevOps career path. And so they hear this DevOps word and they're trying to understand what it is. The other large percentage of my audience is people who are working in traditional IT or sysadmin roles that are looking to add DevOps skills to their resume and transition over to DevOps from a sysadmin role. So uh, that's interesting. It's sysadmins trying to learn DevOps more than developers, I guess, trying to learn DevOps. Yeah, or you get both. Nope, nope. It seems to be pretty one way. And I have a, okay. I have a hypothesis on that um, because a lot of DevOps is uh, code oriented. You know, even though really you're just filling out a bunch of YAML files, there's like a code <laughs> aspect of it. Yeah. So I think people with a development background tend to pick it up more quickly and are out there just doing it. But I still think there's an education need there because I've the ones that I've worked with that fit that model, a lot of them don't have like foundational Linux skills. And so they struggle 
with things like, um, you know, managing and monitoring Linux servers, you know, managing disk space and how do you monitor the operating system. And so those areas get neglected or overlooked because they simply don't know that that's a thing. Mm -hmm. um, so that's another, that would be another cool area to focus on. But then the question becomes, how do you get in front of those people? Because right now they don't even know that that's a problem. So how do you, how do you get their attention to, to help them focus on that? So you're not monetizing your YouTube channel yet. Are, are you still doing the, the, the courses and so on that are, that are paying your bills or are you back to a regular job for the moment or how, how is that working? So I've, I still get um, royalties from videos that I did several years ago. I'm not creating any new courses, but uh, still getting royalties from those. And then I've also got my consulting business that um, that brings in, it's actually bringing in a, a huge chunk of the income right now, just because, you know, in, in consulting, you can charge a bit more. A bit more. Yeah. A bit more. Yeah. <laughs> a few percent, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> There's uh, what are the what are the airlines or um, the uh, concert tickets? There's a convenience surcharge for using a consultant. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna start putting that on my invoices. <laughs> nice. <laughs> Can you give us a few examples? Actually, but before we keep talking about this, how do we find your YouTube channel? Because uh, somebody may be listening and they want to go learn what you have to teach them. How do they find it? Yeah, on YouTube, it's called DevOps for Developers. Even though it's really for sysadmins. Yeah, pretty much. Um, okay. <laughs> <laughs> because when I first launched the channel, I thought, oh, this is a no brainer. You know, developers are going to be interested in this topic. And uh -huh. as we, you know, as we just talked about, I couldn't have been more wrong. But now the channel name is stuck. So I'm like, damn it. All right. <laughs> All right. So, so it's DevOps for anybody other than who's not a developer, except it's called DevOps for developers. Uh, and can you give us some examples? Maybe the last two or three. You said you're making two or three of these a week. What are the last two or three videos you, you uploaded just so we have a really good sense? Yeah, so there's um, one that's coming up today that's on the future of DevOps where I talk about, you know, the state of DevOps. Not really the state of DevOps because I don't like that term. Um, talk about like the things that we do in DevOps today and uh, what I think that's going to evolve to over the next couple of years. So if you're looking to get into DevOps, you know, learn these foundational skills, but also start looking into these other two or three things that I think are going to become more prevalent in the DevOps workspace over the next couple of years. Um, another one that's done really well was uh, 11 DIY DevOps projects. So mm -hmm. a lot of people are struggling to get DevOps jobs because everyone hiring for DevOps uh, positions wants an experienced DevOps engineer, and it's really hard to get a junior DevOps role. So I came up with 11 projects that you can tackle on your own. And then if you word them correctly on your resume, it comes off looking like some really nice experience to have. Okay. That sounds really valuable. Yeah. Uh, I think to a lot of people. Yeah, for sure. And it's the projects are set up in such a way like, um, like the very first one is, uh, build a Linux server using Gentoo or Arch Linux, you know, mm -hmm. no, no Ubuntu, but like yeah. really dig in and build one. Like if you, you, if you'd go with Gentoo, you know, and you start with compiling your own kernel, 
you're going to learn a ton about the Linux operating system just from doing that. And one of the other projects is uh, deploy, you know, grab. There's a bunch of um, GitHub repos that are to-do applications because that's really popular in the software development community. You know, if you want to learn a specific language, you build a to-do app. And so you can just go to GitHub and find this running to-do app. And so one of the other challenges is grab one of those and deploy it in AWS, which is intentionally worded vague because that leads to about a hundred different paths. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's, that's really great. I, ha I have in the back of my mind, uh, I'll probably do it second quarter of, of 2022, uh, a course on deploying an app to Kubernetes. Uh, and my, my target audience is developers. Maybe I'll end up with a bunch of sysadmins <laughs> though. <laughs> right. well, if you're, if you're but, interested in the channel name DevOps for Developers, maybe we can work out a deal. <laughs> <laughs> nice. <laughs> Well, you know, we both have the same the same haircut. So, I mean, if we just put you in the videos, is anyone really going to notice? <laughs> I don't know. That's a good question. I might have to shave my beard. Right. But uh, I, I've done it before. I could do it again. <laughs> uh, so, uh, we're recording this just uh, before Christmas 2021. But this episode will come out uh, probably the end of January 2022. Do you want to make any predictions since you started talking about uh, sort of the state of DevOps? Do you want to make predictions for where things are going to go in the next year in 2022 uh, with regard to DevOps? Do you see any big trends that are that are coming forward? I think there's a couple and um, some of them I think will take place in 2022. I think others are still coming, but they might be a couple more years in getting here. I think the big one is you know, like you just mentioned, Kubernetes, everyone's using Kubernetes or some type of orchestration system. And so I think one of the things that we'll see there is the integration of all of these fragmented orchestration systems. Like even if you just talk about Kubernetes, a lot of people have a Kubernetes cluster for this and a Kubernetes cluster for that, or they're integrating with this SaaS provider who has their Kubernetes implementation. And so I think we'll start to see a lot of tools and work in integrating those fragmented Kubernetes systems. So I'm using Kubernetes, you're using Kubernetes, I need to integrate with you. So how do I tell my Kubernetes system about your Kubernetes cluster and give it the ability to utilize resources there securely? Mm -hmm. I think one of the other ones that we'll see in this one, I think is, um, a couple years out, I think, is work in blockchain, you know, because eventually, like everyone's doing blockchain, you know, but nobody's actually got their financial livelihood or their core business on blockchain. It's still kind of a proof of concept thing. I think we'll see some stuff transition out of that. And one of the big uh, gaps that's going to have to be filled there, I think, is how do you run blockchain applications at scale using DevOps practices. Cause I've done, I've done a fair amount of work in the blockchain and it, it seems like a lot of people there are using manual processes to get things up and running. You know, there's not like a, a really 
proven standard accepted way to launch an Ethereum ledger node using uh, DevOps practices. So I think that'll come out. And the other part of that is, uh, you know, with blockchain, you obviously have Web3 applications. I think there's going to be a, a big opportunity there to put the guardrails around Web3 applications so that it's safe and secure to roll those out. Because one of the big risks there is if you deploy an application and with Web3, it runs in the client browser. So if you've got, you know, your if you've got a way to store a private key out there, now you've got a private key floating out in, what, hundreds of thousands of browsers? So we need guardrails in place to ensure that that doesn't happen because in the event that that does happen, it's all in the blockchain. That's a read-only ledger. So that's there forever and it can cause some significant pain. Fascinating. Now, blockchain is one area that I, I have a conceptual grasp for how it works, but I've never worked in that area. So uh, that when it comes to like the rubber hitting the road, I don't really know what is involved in managing blockchain nodes and the security implications and all that stuff. So it, it's definitely an area that there's a lot of room. There's, there's going to be a lot of old folks like me who don't want to learn that new stuff, which means <laughs> <Right>. there's <laughs> which means there's a lot of opportunity for the young folks to come along and pick that up and and. Uh, it go with it. So. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> I've had a couple of clients that did blockchain projects and it was a, it was a definite, definite learning experience. Do you blog or anything like that you want to talk about? I don't, <clears throat> I have a Twitter account, but I mainly just shit post on it. <laughs> That's what Twitter's for. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, no, all of my effort right now is on the YouTube channel. And for a while I was considering either launching on another, um, YouTube channel or, you know, focusing on the same channel topic, but on Instagram or something like that. And it's just such a time consuming effort to do the YouTube channel. I was like, you know, I'm just going to stick with this. I'm going to make this successful. And then once I get that flywheel spinning, then, you know, I can look at doing something else. That's really been my approach too. I mean, I have, I have two channels I work with right now, which is my podcast and my my daily mailing list. And I I have a thousand ideas. I mean, maybe I should try TikTok. Maybe I should try Instagram. Maybe I should try whatever, whatever, whatever. But you know, there's only so much one person can think about. And I'm still learning as I go along. So it's not like it's on autopilot yet. So I, I try to focus a little bit and uh, not get my fingers in too many pies all at once. Yeah. Yeah, that's a it's a constant battle, you know, because you see the new shiny, you're like, ooh, yes. I'm gonna go do that. <laughs> so, how much time do you spend on a, on an average week uh, preparing your your content? Um, I think I probably spend, uh, I would say, three to four hours a week to get those two to three videos out. And that's, um, you know, every couple of weeks I'll sit down for an extended session to research the topics and like fill out my backlog of what I'm going to record and then, uh, go through and script that script each video and then record the video and then, um, 
pick out like some good places to insert B-roll and, you know, how I want it to flow. And, but then the editing process, I use an editor. So then I just, um, upload it for my editor and he does all of the video editing and he's got, you know, so he'll, he'll add probably the same amount of time, you know, three to four hours of his time actually editing the video. That sounds like a pretty efficient process. I'm, I'm nowhere near that, uh, that optimized yet. Uh, when I do a, a 30 minute video, I, I probably spend a day on it. Uh, but I, I am <laughs> doing my own editing. Right. Uh, yeah. So that, that does make a big difference. Yeah. Cause we were talking about that. Like I love editing. Editing is so much fun. You know, you get to be so creative and, um, there's all these little rabbit holes you can, you can go down. And I did my editing for probably, I've got just over a hundred videos out on the channel now. And I probably edited the first, I want to say 40 myself mm -hmm. before hiring an, hiring an external editor. Which so, I think that was valuable time to spend, you know, just to learn like the, the thought process. Right. Yeah, I agree. And and to learn kind of what's possible. Yeah. So you, you, you know how to communicate with your editor when you want to make uh, a suggestion or you're like, I want to try this sort of thing, but I, I don't know how to do it. Could, could you know what I'm talking about? Yep, exactly. So you said you, you script your, your videos. How, how strictly do you script that? Is it like an outline or do you have like a word by word script in mind? Um, <laughs> it's, uh, it's usually this internal monologue in my head. That's a couple of different voices. And, and I don't know how deep you read into that to say, ah, this dude should probably talk to a psychiatrist or something, <laughs> but, um, it's usually along those lines. And so it's like a full narrative, you know, cause as I'm having the conversation in my head, I'm typing it out and, um, then I'll, I'll get to the end and, and read through it you know, make a couple edits to it, rearrange some stuff. And then when it's actually time to record, I've got this full long narrative. Um, but <laughs> this is going to sound dumb, but I'm going to throw it out there. Anyway, I usually take my, uh, take my glasses off when I'm recording because I have struggled with getting this reflection off of my, my, um, glasses that I just don't like to screw with. So I've got the, the script on my iPad but I don't have my glasses on. So when I'm actually recording, I can only usually pick out like three or four words because I recognize the shape of those words. <laughs> so the actual recorded video is rarely close to the script that I wrote, but I think the scripting process itself is still really important and valid because it allows me to, to run through and, and get the idea in my head and understand what I want the end product to look like. Nice. Yeah. I tend to go the opposite to the opposite extreme and I don't script anything. I just sit down with an idea. I record myself talking to a camera and then go back and edit it later. Right on. You know, I've, I've done, whenever I did all the videos for uh, Egghead and Pluralsight, I tried so many different ways to do that because that's one of those things where it was all very code oriented. So you were actually typing code while talking and, um, so I tried different things. I tried, you know, talking and typing. I would try, uh, recording me typing and then narrate over the top of it and just all these different permutations of that. And I think it's been a while since I've done one of those courses, but I think the place I ended up on was 
um, I would type a line of code and then say why I was typing it. And then in the edit process, you know, slide the audio over the top yeah. of the, the screen capture. That's exactly the process I've, I've settled on when doing that type of uh, thing as well. <clears throat> All right. Well, there, there's your little primer audience, everybody listening. There's your primer to video editing for YouTube if you ever want to do that. Uh, you should try it. It's fun. Absolutely. I totally recommend it. Um, there's so many benefits to it. You know, even if you're not going to like monetize it, you know, and and f travel around the world on DevOps, YouTube money. I think that's really a valid exercise in your communication skills and in your networking skills and presentation skills. Um, Absolutely. Especially, especially during COVID when, when it's so hard. If, if you want to get out and say, go to a, a conference, you want to practice conference speaking or meetup speaking and you can't because they aren't happening. Get, uh, get on YouTube, uh, yeah. and, and then you could say you could say you're a YouTuber. The first time somebody called me a YouTuber, I, I was like, "What? That's such a weird thing." But it's true. I guess I am <laughs> <Right>. one. <laughs> right for for me, there was a little bit of a cringe there because I was like, "No, I'm not a twenty something year old gamer." Like, no, <laughs> exactly. Because it was it's hard, you know. It's hard to, in my mind, just because I'm older, it's hard to give credibility to a term like that. Like um, another one that is along the same lines is, uh, is it called e-gamer? Like yeah. the competitive, e yeah, esports, yeah. 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 Um, I, I struggled with that when it first came out and I was like, no, that's not a real profession. But those guys are, some of them are pulling in some significant money and really it kind of is a real profession, you know, they put their time and effort into it and they're, you know, they're focused on marketing and branding and skills development. Like it's got all the components of every other job on the planet. Exactly. Yep. All right. Well, there you have it from two old fogey YouTubers. Right. Uh. <laughs> so when you do the uh, video portion of this, are you going to have the uh, two old guys from Sesame Street up in the balcony? <laughs> <laughs> I should totally do that. Yeah. Yeah. But most of my videos my, my uh, of these uh, for the podcast are just two talking heads. But whenever there's a chance, I love to put a little B-roll or a little animation on the screen just uh, something to do so you you've given me the perfect one here <laughs> yeah that's been another skill i've learned is um use of b-roll because everyone has such short attention attention spans these days mm -hmm. like every 30 seconds you need to be changing something on the screen or you're going to lose their interest yeah yeah i don't know if there's anything else you'd like to talk about um yeah actually so i i mentioned my future predictions i'm curious to hear what yours are okay um yeah of course blockchain and and web3 are the big buzzwords um i i predict a bursting of that bubble i don't know if it's going to be this soon uh it's it's still growing pretty rapidly so i don't know if it's going to burst in 2022 or it might be 23 or 24 but i think we're going to have a repeat of the dot-com bust oh yeah 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 uh, so I don't know when, but it'll happen. And, and that's not to say there's no substance to blockchain. Right. But there's a lot more hype than there is substance right now. Absolutely. Yeah, totally so. agree. Like there are valid real world use cases for that, but we have to get through all of this other stuff first. Yeah. 
I was actually before we got on the uh, recording today. I was looking at do you. Do you remember the million dollar homepage? Are you old enough to remember that? <laughs> I am, yeah. <laughs> the, the concept was it was a it was a website that had I think it was ten thousand pixels by ten thousand pixels. Uh, so it was just that's a million pixels, right? Right. And you could buy a pixel for one dollar per pixel, and and you could put whatever you wanted on your pixels, and it would link to your website. And the website's still up, mostly. If you go to milliondollarhomepage.com, you can see it. But I think this was the original NFT. Oh yeah, absolutely. For and, sure. And it's it's still there. I mean, half the probably more than half the links are broken. They go to to parks domains and defunct companies. One made me laugh. It was a, a, an advertisement for software to rip CDs to MP3s. <laughs> <laughs> who, who wants that? Right. <laughs> but uh, the point is, I, I think that's kind of like the the OG NFT uh, website back there. Um, but yeah, so I, I do think there is some substance in blockchain. I don't think cryptocurrency is where it's at. I don't think that is the interesting uh, use case for for blockchain. I'm not, it's not to say it won't be done, but that's we, we've been using money for thousands of years. A new version of money isn't exciting to me, right? That, that's what I'm saying. Uh, but there are things that blockchain I think will do that will will uh, will be interesting. Um, NFTs are interesting, but I don't think see them as particularly valuable, at least not in the current implementation, but maybe that will change too. So that, that's my big prediction is that uh, we're going to have a burst of that bubble. Um, as far as DevOps specifically, um, I don't know that I have a, a, a good prediction. Uh, I, I guess my other big prediction is that there, we're, we're never going back to normal with regard to this pandemic. Uh, I, I <laughs> think I think we have a new normal. Yeah, this is normal. <clears throat> yeah. I do think that over time, but I, I, by time I mean years, I do think that we will start to have more freedoms uh, depending on which country you live in and the restrictions they have this week versus next week. You know, some, some places are still pretty heavily locked down, others not so much. But I think that will over time improve. Uh, but it's not like it's going away and we're going to some weekend go back to normal life again. That's not going to happen. No. And I, I think that's probably, if you are one of those people who have been waiting for that, I think that's probably a realization that's better made sooner rather than later so that you can make the necessary adjustments to your life to, to um, mentally accept that. I agree. Cause I, you're, you're my, just my, suffering right now. Exactly. My my son was born. Actually, his birthday is tomorrow. He, he's almost a year old. Nice. Uh, and most of our family has not met him yet because uh, I, I live in the Netherlands now. But my my family is in the United States, and my wife's family is in Central America. So my son has not met his grandparents or most of his cousins. Uh, he he, he one, my, my sister's wife is visiting us right now, so he's met his aunt and one cousin. Um, but yeah, you know, we had we had this thought all along. Like as soon as he was born, it's like, all right, we're going to bring the parents over here to meet him, and or we're going to go over there. And we always had this idea that, uh, well, the, the lockdown is going to end soon, and travel restrictions will be lifted. We've had this thought in our head for a year now that right. in just a couple more weeks it'll be fine. Yeah, and then we can do this again. And we've come to the realization that's not true. So we are we are going to go visit uh, uh, the U.S. and Guatemala uh, uh, early next year, but we're making it the longest trip we can plan because we don't know when it will happen again. So we're, we're hoping for a three-month stay, uh, a month and a half each place, just spend some time with our families, 
because it might be two years or three years before it happens again. And uh, so that, that's that's the way we're adjusting to this new normal. Yeah, for sure. You know, and, and just, um, you know, with the extended trip like that, there may be some times where you just have to, I don't, you know, take a little break. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah. that will allow you to do that without feeling like you wasted your whole trip. Yeah. All right. Well, this has been a fun episode. Um, Will, how can people get a hold of you? You've you've told us the name of the YouTube channel already. Um, is that the best place, or are there and and you have a a Twitter account that you don't use a whole lot, I guess. Uh, so, is YouTube the best? Yeah. Um. I I read and respond to all comments on the YouTube channel. Um. But if you do want to like reach out and have like a non-YouTube related conversation. Um, I am on Twitter frequently. I don't post anything useful or meaningful there, but I post some funny stuff there, but my DMS are open there. So you can, um, you can hit me up uh, via DMS or there's also, I also have a discord group for the YouTube channel that you can jump into at devopsfordevelopers.io slash discord. And uh, we can chat that way too. Great. And what was your Twitter handle? Oh yeah. WF button. WF button. Yeah. Awesome. Great. Well, thank you, Will, for coming on. Uh, We'll all see you on your YouTube channel and on your Discord. Right on. Thanks, man. I appreciate it. Until next time.